This is a penny for your thoughts. I'm Farrell Styers. Today we're covering one of the most important psychological aspects of marketing, distinctive assets. These are all the little sensory experiences that we associate with a brand. Maybe it's their logo, but maybe it's a certain word or phrase, maybe it's a particular color, a jingle, or even a scent. A distinctive asset is just any quick sensory cue that people immediately associate with a given brand. And today, we're talking with a brand that's a Belgian icon, Duvel. If you've spent any time in Belgium, you definitely know Duvel. But chances are, if you've spent any time in a bar pretty much anywhere in the world, you've heard of them. Duvel Mortgat is the company behind Duvel, La Chouffe, Vedette, and several other iconic beer brands. And as you'll hear, a couple of years ago, they started on a journey to find and refine their distinctive brand assets. Today's show is the first in a series around our brand religions books. If you read those books, then don't worry. We explore a lot here beyond what's in the book. And if you haven't read them, well, I hope this piques your interest and you look them up. But let's hear from a couple of guys who've been living the Duval brand for many years. I am uh, Wim Mines. I uh, work in the global marketing department of Duval Mordgat for the uh, Duval brand. Uh, since three years, I started in a uh, traineeship program as a young graduate. And since uh, almost two years, I'm uh, working on the brand Duval, working on innovation and strategic projects um, and uh, a lot of other uh, branding topics. Um, and I'm reporting directly to uh, Andy van Hassel, who is uh, next to me here. I'm Andy van Hassel. I'm, uh, uh, as we mentioned, I'm the uh, global marketing director of Duval Moortgat. Um Working at the company since 2006, September 2006. Um, company has evolved and I've been able to evolve with the company as well throughout the different life stages uh, from being a very local player uh, to a more international, global role. At Devil Market, we, uh, we have six Belgian brands that we, uh, that we work for and that we want to make global. Um, the role of distinctive assets, I see it as Although we evolve enormously, uh, we fly to Mars, um, but we're still cavemen when it comes to our brains. So distinctive assets is for me really important because it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a sum of separate things that make your brand stand out and that make people recognize the brand, but also make it recognize what it stands for. So it's crucial. I mentioned before that a distinctive asset is any sensory cue that people associate with a brand. And what Andy said here is key. These cues work because they trigger an automatically, essentially involuntary association in our brain. These automatic responses are mostly coming from some of the deepest, oldest parts of our brain. This is what Andy means when he says we're still cavemen. Uh, we've only been uh, adapting this approach Outspoken, it's outspoken being uh, uh, and calling it a, a brand asset since two years. I think prior to that, we've done uh, the, 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 the walking, we've done it, but it was more subconsciously. And I think it was when we encountered the entire approach of um, uh, Mr. Sharp uh, 
and uh, Jenny Romaniak, um, that gave us some kind of a aha erlebnis, like, oh yeah, makes sense. <coughs> oh, we've been doing it. Okay, let's let's go even more deeper into it and, 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 and let's practice it and let's make it a religion. Let's make it a religion. In the marketing world, there are many schools of thought about how brands should market themselves. And distinctive assets are a crucial aspect of one of those schools of thought. At Insights, these various marketing approaches are called brand religions. And we spoke to one of the preachers of these religions. So I'm Niels. I'm one of the co-founders and managing partners at Insights Consulting. Um, I head up our uh, Dutch office. Um, and I'm one of the domain experts when it comes to branding, hence um, I'm one of the co-authors of the Brand Religions booksy. A brand religion is a, a way of saying a brand strategy that you follow, or a brand doctrine if you want. It's a, it's a stream of thinking. Uh, the reason why and how we came about it was that if you look in the marketing literature, there is many books, many theoretical models, many conceptual frameworks. And they can lead to one or two things, um, which they could create confusion among brand uh, owners and marketeers and insights professionals and not knowing what to do, like which is the good model to follow or which is the good stream to follow. Secondly, it could also uh, result into them jumping from one strategy to the other. Um, and that's not good. You need some consistency in, in strategy. So when we were looking at that and we said like, you know, it's not good. How can we bring structure into it? We came up with the metaphor and analogy of religion. Um, because if you think what a religion does or has done for human beings, uh, mainly it has helped them or tried to help them to um, explain complex phenomena uh, or things that are very hard to explain. And if you look, take a look at the, at the, at the definition of a religion, uh, it's a pursuit or interest that is followed with great devotion. So if you apply that to branding literature and brand uh, streams or, or strategies, um, you could say you have brand religions. So they are ways of thinking or doctrines, um, if you want. So that's how we came about it and how you could define a brand religion. Among these brand religions is the penetration religion. And this is where distinctive assets come into play. And that's all, everything that has to do with Byron Sharp. Uh, so that's the stream of thought of Byron Sharp, which is all about penetration, which means that you have to achieve as many buyers in a market as possible. Secondly, um, you shouldn't be segmenting your market. So that's very different from the classic religion. You should treat everybody the same. Um, and because the reasoning behind that is that people have a repertoire of brands and they are just choosing one brand after the other and nobody can be uh, extremely loyal uh, as, as the classic religion or the influencer religion would say you could be. And then third uh, element of that penetration religion is that you should be available in the minds as well as physically available for consumers. So physical availability refers to should be available in every shop and every point of sale or every moment or occasion where your brand could be consumed, you should be there. And then uh, the mental availability part of it is where people have to really, um, you have to be in a way top of mind in different category entry points, uh, as well as be very recognizable in terms of distinctive assets. 
So in the Byron Sharp penetration religion, you not only want your product to be physically available in as many places as possible, you want your brand to be mentally available too. And a key aspect of being top of mind and mentally available is to have easy, recognizable, distinctive assets. So back to Wim at Duval. How have they employed this distinctive asset strategy? I think for Duval, if there's one um, big shift in our communication style that we are implementing is that we're putting the D more up front. It's uh, internally, we always compare it with the swoosh of Nike that we're implementing the D for Duval. And I think the past five to 10 years by we kind of rolled into that in our visibility in uh, in bars and in uh, in retail stores we started putting that d more up front in a lot of communication styles also in the digital sphere but um and at a certain moment it was uh, ap apparently a very fast decision that was made to shift the duval logo on our iconic tulip glass towards a d and starting from there we all very gradually we shifted that d to a platform as a canvas to really make our brand identity uh, more contemporary and more aligned with uh, the, the current uh, expectations of consumers. So that was really a shift that I, I think we made gradually, but now we're putting it all set in stone and making it very consistent in everything we do. Research at that moment um, helped us, the, the Insights research with the consumer survey helped us to discover the strength of it. This, again, is Andy but um, we didn't follow entirely what consumers wanted because then we would have become the D brand and we still need to link the D and load it with Duval. Took away a lot of noise, graphical noise, to make it stand out even more clearer because that's, you can have an asset, but it can be buried by a lot of other stuff. And that was actually the case for, uh, for Duval. It was there, but it was unexploited. Purification, I think that's one of the, first of all, you need to know what your brand assets are, what are the diamonds, and then you really need to really sharpen them like, like, uh, like a craftsman. Okay. So, and that's purification. It's like, we're going to focus on these. So it's purification or cleaning up or whatever you want to call it. But it's, you just bet on those. In case of Fedette, we had a brand uh, and a beer um that plant and we had a distinctive asset being the uh, the three layered layout it's always flag it's some kind of flag uh, and with a star uh, with a brand name and on the star there was always in in belgian context the first product featured a mascot it was a penguin they had this brand of vedette and they had a set of brand assets with it but when they added a new wheat beer to the lineup they had to ponder how to adjust the branding and how to manage those visual assets. Are we going to take the penguin as the mascot or go, are we going to go for something differently? And we said, yeah, that should be fun. It's a, it's a, it's a white bear, so we're going to go for a white bear. This was just a play on words in Dutch, with the white bear representing the wheat beer. It was a small part of the branding, and as he explained, not something that many people in the company viewed as terribly important to the brand or the marketing. But when they saw how well it did in China, they realized they had a huge hit on their hands. The white bear, even as a minor part of the branding, became the most important distinctive asset for that beer. In a different culture, in a different setting, it proved to be 
to be looking to work because now it's 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 the white bear it, it doesn't only represent the, the brand but also the category an asset that comes to define a category is a huge achievement and what this story also demonstrates is the need for flexibility and experimentation what works in one place may be different in another so brands need to allow room for that I think we've uh, together had a, um, a trajectory of um, turning our local marketing department into a more global structure with also different new stakeholders and uh, new responsibilities involved. And I think within that framework, we have really been able to st uh, start putting up guidelines that all marketeers can start working with. And I think it's only in that uh, transition that uh, the need for uh, clear guidelines, clear distinctive asset uh, management, that kind of um, strategic think it uh, was necessary to uh, build a consistent uh i think what, what we want to bring across is that the distinctive assets they're there on packaging it's all streamlined because we're a global brand when it comes to communicating and playing them out then there's a bit more freedom country to country indian whims said they believe in the penetration religion but they're not slaves to it they use this approach as guidance but it doesn't replace good instincts and common sense yeah, it's funny how a, uh, a textbook, uh, for example, Baron Sharp can, sh can tell you, you you need to select a standard of distinctive assets and play them out and try to amplify each of that those chosen assets to the maximum extent. But it's a process of years, I think, uh, just getting into the head of uh, everybody in the organization and putting in the in, in the markets. It's crazy to see what a long-term trajectory is behind it based on first research testing before you can see that they actually work until actually getting to them into the market throughout the entire organization and all brands we have. I said we are disciples, we, we preach it, uh, but sometimes I'm really surprised that it's not all true. I, I, I was talking about God-based informed. We're not blind and just doing things because it's written. He explained one case in which the textbook told them that when teasing a new product launch, they'd be just as well served by showing the brand as they would by not showing it. However, when the data came back, it was clear that the teasers without the brand were far more successful. But uh, to be honest, uh, you said um, you learn. What I learned is that next time we'll just not say, oh, we don't need to show the brand. Next time we'll test again. Because I think it's not learning and then it's, that's the way. It changes all the time and it's always the same, but in a different context for a different brand. So for me, it's, I learned that I don't always have to trust a, an opinion or what has worked. You always need to keep your mind open and test. And there's no right or wrong. It's about what works and how can we adapt. So, um, and the person that says who knows it all, uh, I think he will need to learn a lot about himself. Now the big question is, does it work? Has Duval's focus on distinctive assets helped the business? Andy said it'll never be possible to directly link the business results to the marketing. But the company has seen success, and this new way of thinking has helped them focus. The future will prove. I think we're just gonna keep that as a compass and believe in it, work, uh, toward it and then referring to the beginning where we said it's very simple 
in people's minds and we need to make it as simple as possible for people to recognize our brands. If you enjoyed this, check out our brand religions book zines at insights-consulting.com. And we'll be back soon with more episodes on the experience religion and on sonic branding. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our show on whatever podcast app you use. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave us a review. This show was edited by Katya Pellini, Felix Rumpf, and me. I also did the mixing and tech production. Thanks to Wim, Andy, and everyone at Duval for helping with this episode. Thanks to Niels for explaining brand religions, and thanks to you for listening.